welcome to the Black and White Podcast, where we seek to filter the gray world around us through God's Word, with radical grace, raw truth, and real hope. I'm Denise Pass, and I'm here today with a special guest to help us find peace and gratitude in a chaotic world this month. Dr. Kohi is the author of the book, The Disquieted Soul, and serves as an associate professor of management at Palm Beach Atlantic University's Rinker School of Business. With over 30 years in the defense and aerospace sector, Lane has also taught over 50 courses in the areas of leadership, parenting, theology, apologetics, church history, and financial management. Lane and his wife, Cheryl, were married in 1987 and currently reside in India Atlantic, Florida. They have three adult sons, Chase, Kale, and Chain. Welcome to the show, Lane. Thank you, Denise. I appreciate the opportunity. It's nice to chat with you. Definitely, and I hope I pronounced everything correctly in that. <laughs> you did. You, if, if, it's it's uh, very few people can get in the Atlantic, Florida, right the first time. So, so yeah, was, that's good on you. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at the old Lord. I don't think I rehearsed that one. Let's just see how this yeah. rolls. <laughs> no, you did it. You did it well. It's it's a little barrier island. Um, yeah, as you know, in Florida, they have an intercoastal waterway almost all the way down um, and so it's a barrier island between the Indian River and the Atlantic Ocean and hence hence the name Indian Atlantic. There you have it. So <laughs> for all y'all listening today who didn't know about it now you know you're in the there know. You go. <laughs> well we are in one of my favorite months of the year right here. I love November for the focus on gratitude and the holiday of Thanksgiving. My kids love it too. We all cozy up in the kitchen and make our favorite foods. And it is such a perfect time to discuss a book to challenge our souls to return to the peace we have in Christ with your book, The Disquieted Soul, Paths of Discovery and Deliverance as our guide. I love the title of your book, Lane. It automatically draws us in to consider the busyness that pulls us away. You describe these disquieted souls as their souls living lives of restless discontent. They are souls who overanalyze, overworry, overperform, and overprotect. They are souls running as fast as they can, trying to escape their own unhappiness. Perfectionist extremes and addictive tendencies are their regular companions. Peace, stability, and harmony are not. Wow. So I think in this day and age of social media and knowledge increasing more and more, as scripture says, that this definition can fit us all, non-believers and surprisingly, Christians. What prompted you to see a need for this book and how did God lead you to write it? Uh, so God led me to write it uh, because I saw the need, you know, distinctly within myself. Mm. And uh, you get to certain points in time in life. And, and I hit one of those where I did a lot of, I tend to be a somewhat inter introspective person anyway, but um, kind of looking back at um, the body of your life. And, you know, you listed a lot of things off of the resume. In, in terms of my, my Christian experience, uh, I became a Christian at 19. So I, I also have some reflection on what it was like not to follow Christ intently during a, a period of time. But the common denominator through all of those years, both as a Christian and a non-Christian, was this tendency uh, towards restless discontent or disquiet. As you say, um, I think it affects us. It's a common human experience. 
And many of us, myself included, just were very comfortable living a life, um, doing a professional experience, serving in the church, doing our church thing, really without challenging the disquietude in our souls. And, and that's what God led me to. He said, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do some uh, we're going to do some surgery here at this phase phase of your life. And, and, and he has. Hmm. You know, I was saved at age 19 as well. Hmm. And, um, you know, when I look back, I can see where that, that tendency to just be lulled into the comfort zone is such a common thing. And and we make it an idol. And in fact, just yesterday, someone said to me, my, my daughter had broken her toe and, they were just saying, oh, that must be a bummer for you to have to cart her around everywhere. <laughs> and I said, you know, comfort and convenience are overrated. I mean, we, if we live just to have like the easy life, that is not living. You know, when we are saying, God, use me as your servant, no matter yeah, I think how I, challenging life gets, you know? Right. I, I agree. I, I think that uh, it kind of leads to some of the um, the issues that I deal with with regard to the book, which is we are certainly a society which treasures a pain-free existence yes. and a comfort, you know, a, a, accentuating comfort and minimizing pain. We're also, to use a fancy term, a society that has a high internal locus of control, which believe, means that we believe we can control our circumstances, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so we go out of our way to use any circumstances that we can or manipulation of life to, to basically increase comfort and decrease pain. And I think, and we can talk more about it, that is actually part of the stimulus that leads to our disquieting. Yes, and can lead to our salvation. You know, pain gets our mm. attention. It does. Uh, we, don't, we don't like it, and we can often accuse God because why did he allow that in? Uh, that can get us on a whole thing about the goodness of God. But I, I think, you know, we torture ourselves because the discontent or disquieted hearts are really our own doing. We, we fill that void in our hearts with counterfeit idols and pursuits that only serve to cause us to perpetually seek relief from our chaos. And relief is never found. The enemy of our souls likes to keep us busy and preoccupied with the creation rather than the creator. The scripture for this episode is taken from Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. This verse holds out a sweet promise, perfect peace. If we will just trust in God and fix our thoughts on him, with such a promise available to us, why do so few have this peace, Lane? Uh, you've hit on two things. First of all, you started with a conversation about the fact that the enemy of our souls likes to keep us busy and preoccupied with the creation rather than the creator. Um, and you mentioned the term counterfeit idols. Um, I have a chapter in the book called Cruel Masters. Mm-hmm. And um, we can talk a little bit about the pathology of, of disquiet, but the short end of it is is that these cruel masters some have called them counterfeit gods some have called them functional saviors some um, simply call them idols um, the power of the cruel master is it, it it's a good thing in many cases in most cases something that god has brought pleasure um, as as c.s lewis pointed out in the screw tape letters uncle screw tape says you know we demons we can't create our own pleasures 
but we can certainly encourage Christians to use those pleasures, those God-given pleasures at the wrong times, in the wrong ways, in the wrong amounts, is, is, is the paraphrase. And we run to these things because they're uh, quick, sometimes cheap substitutes, but they have power because they knock at the at the at what I call identity needs of our souls, our need to feel meaningful, our need to feel valued, our need to feel special, I need to have comfort, I need to have peace. And, and so they're kind of quick fixes, easy substitutes, but what we find out and the cruelty of them is we we chase after them, they demand more and more of us of us, and they give us less and less. Mm. Um, and we can live rotating our idols uh, an entire life if that's the way um, we're, we, we choose to. But uh, to, to the second point is you mentioned trust, perfect peace for all who trust in you from Isaiah 26. That, that word trust is really, really hard for a disquieted soul um, because at the core of of disquiet, um, I have suggested pain and shame, you know, really uh, are, are, they're, they're the, the, the bedrock of disquiet and the common denominator between pain and shame, disquiet really blooms in the, in the flower bed of pain and shame. And the common denominator between pain and shame is that both are extremely self-protective, self-focused, really can't see past themselves. And so if we are operating, you know, if that's no matter what we may say in church, if that's really our behavior pattern, we're going to have a really, really hard time with trust. Trust is where we need to get to, but it doesn't just naturally happen um, even by doing, you know, religious exercises. Mm, That's so good. You know, it's ironic that the world feels and really that it is freedom to just follow after those things, do whatever you want to do. But it's, it is enslavement. Like you talk about cruel taskmasters, you know, um, and, and people march to try to win the right to be enslaved. And yet so many are trying to escape the unhappiness they feel. It can feel so very painful but we're missing the point. When we are pursuing happiness, happiness or joy is the fruit of a life abiding in Christ, filling our mind with his word and walking in the spirit. Romans 8, 6 helps us to get to the root of the problem, I think. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. The NIV translation says the mind governed by the flesh leads to death. These verses illustrate a profound truth. One, we have a choice. A lot of times we don't think we do. We just let the flesh control us. Number two, our flesh wants to govern us, but unless we rule the flesh by letting the spirit control our mind, we will never have peace. Lane, you mentioned the importance of introspection and the necessity of recognizing and remedying the disquieted soul because it ultimately charts a path of its own undoing. Can you expound on this? Um, sure. I, the, uh, what I mean with regard to charting a path of its own undoing is, is really from a spiritual perspective. 
um, even those of us who are in Christ um, can be very much undone. You know, I'm not talking about losing salvation or anything like that. I'm just simply saying that our effectiveness in Christ, our salt, if you will, um, can be severely um, undone as a result of not dealing with this tendency towards disquietedness or disquietude. And I'm really glad that you focused on Romans 8, 6, because the, the central element is who controls your mind. And I think despite the fact that we're in, in our modern society, we are very intellectual in a sense. I mean, we have a huge amount of knowledge and data available and information and so forth. We have learned to be a bit lazy with regard to our thought life generally speaking. And the, the beginning of, of escaping disquietude is actually the process of finding, um, if, if coaching ourselves through changing the voice we hear or changing the, the, the thought life that we willingly participate in. Because as I've suggested, and I think Romans points this out, it's just easy enough to let any junk from our past, you know, from our history, mm. from our enemy, from our accuser, from our environment, for anything, just basically pollute or corrupt our brain waves, if you will. We don't filter it. We don't actively take hold of it. We just kind of sit and swim in it. And that really is a recipe for any inability to truly find peace in our lives. Definitely. You know, and I, I think the monotony of life is also so very numbing at times and it, it lulls us away by degrees. That's why it's kind of sneaky. You know, we don't realize it. And it really from the mission that God has us on, it requires discipline and a fervent seeking of God. We must be people in his word. And it's not just a good deed to read and study the Bible. It is our very life. God's word gives us peace. John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Yet still we have to fight for our peace, don't we? You mentioned in your book this um, pathology of disquiet. It is kind of like a disease, this disquietness and inability to be at peace. And it's really increasing more and more. I feel for the next generations coming up. My um, oldest son uh, actually posts on social media about staying away from social media. But the way he does it, he actually t removes the apps from his phone. So he will not be notified, doesn't want to know about it until he decides to post and share something God's put on his heart. And he's trying to be in his generation, he's 20 years old, you know, this voice of saying, don't be so absorbed in all these things. They're pulling you away from God and people don't realize it. They, they feel like, oh, come on, it's just being social, but it's such a distraction. And yet living in this fallen world, we, we catch this disease innocently enough. Can you describe uh, the pathology of disquiet? Uh, sure. As I've kind of tried to characterize it, I actually center or start with what I call threats of pain and shame. Mm -hmm. um, 
Uh, some people have actually called this vulnerability or fear of vulnerability. That is, is that when we think about life and particularly with all of the stuff that we hear because we are so interconnected, it's really easy for us to anticipate bad things happening. I mean, we have enough bad things happening as it is, and then we can think about, oh, what about this? Or what if this happens? Um, what if, you know, they find fault in me? Or what if I don't measure up? Or in, in these, these voices of shame many times, uh, rejection, devaluation, lack of appreciation, um, abandonment, and these fears um, that tend to govern our thought life. Um, and if we're honest with ourselves, I think a lot of times our, our thought lives do center around the what ifs. Hence the reason that we do overthink, overanalyze, overworry, uh, overprotect. And that's the starting point, I believe, of much of our disquiet. Um, what do we naturally do when we think about these things? Well, we try to manage our ways out of them. You know, how can I avoid that circumstance? How can I adjust? How can I adapt? How can I anticipate? You know, so we can drive ourselves crazy trying to, you know, uh, anticipate and avoid. And that's what I call over control, where we're trying to overmanage mm -hmm. life to avoid the scary things that, that we think are going to happen to us. And the last one, and we've talked mm -hmm. about this one already, is, you know, none of us, no matter how good we are, really can manage it all away. And so we find coping mechanisms, ways to kind of get us through. I mean, the standards, alcohol, drugs, et cetera, are easy pornography. But, you know, there's all kinds of different mechanisms or, as I've called them, cruel masters that ultimately we can run to to try to get us to that sense of peace or that sense of control or that sense of stability. And ultimately, the sad thing about it is when we use what God, in most cases, has given us as pleasure for the right in the right ways when we use them in the wrong ways wrong times wrong amounts they end up governing our lives all of it leads to more disquiet so it's like this cycle and you pointed it out it just keeps going and going and we just run on this crazy cycle mm. yes you know i talk about um also the cycle of shame in my book how how it is easy to you know all of us experience shame at some point and when we don't know how to handle it, we do get that disquieted soul that you talk about. We end up being absorbed in all these different coping mechanisms instead of just dealing with the shame at hand. If we would deal with it biblically and if we would look at it with a, a humble heart and ask God if there's anything we need to apply, we could be set free from it. But we end up a lot of our lives, I know most of my life, I spent uh, just focused on shame. You know, you just mentioned also that, you know, we try to avoid the scary things that happen right. to us. Don't you think like after 9-11, that was really heightened? I mean, I, I know for me, suddenly I had this underlying anxiety and I was like, what is this? Like, can I ever return to like just kind of this simple life? But see, we weren't meant to be like totally comfortable here. And that's kind of hard. But when we think about the early church and all that they faced, you know, for us, you know, when we think about the scary things that we try to avoid, I think there's a, a place of surrender that God wants us at where we trust his hand and his sovereignty, no matter what can happen in this truly chaotic fallen world. But, you know, so if that is not convincing enough that we need what you just shared with that, we need to pay attention to this discontent on our souls, the fruit of disquiet can be severe. 
and lead us to despair, that place of hopelessness, hopelessness where it never seems that we will find our way back to a simple life of peace. Despair becomes depression and a cycle of self-pity. This despair happens when we have lived in this disquiet long enough to where we have forgotten that our God is good. All the noise surrounding us cannot rob us of the goodness of our God, and it is His goodness that brings us back. This is one of my favorite verses that I think of. Psalm 27, 13-14 says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This verse is what helped me to find hope when it seemed obliterated from my sight. Chaos bows its knee before the one who is in complete control and who bids us to come and rest. Lane, you mentioned that depression and self-pity are byproducts of despair. What is at the root of these ugly fruits? Yeah, I, I treat um, you know depression, and I and I and from a, a medical perspective, I want to be sensitive to the fact that there really is there are real issues that need to be dealt with. I believe mm-hmm. um, both from a, a you know I'll call it a body soul perspective. You know, uh, both both we need to deal with the body. We also need to deal with the spiritual element of it in tandem. Um, so I want to be very sensitive to people who deal consistently and chronically with depression, um, maybe driven more from biological purposes and so forth. But the, the area that I, I camp out in a bit in chapter five um, of the book is what you talked about with regard to self-pity. And um, we tend to be very good, if we're honest, about throwing ourselves pity parties when things don't go our way. Oh, yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I give a couple of examples just to say, hey, we're, you know, we're not alone. For example, if we look at the boomerang of Elijah's life after he has this triumphant experience of, of, of dealing with the idolatry and dealing with the false prophets and so on and so forth and, and calling down fire, if you will, from heaven, God, you know, showing his power. And he has this, this throwdown. And then the next day when Jezebel says, you're a dead man. He's running as fast as he can away and basically Mm -hmm. hiding and sulking and saying, you know, nobody else is with me. I'm all by myself. I might as well just die. And you're saying, what happened here? (laughs) Um, Jonah, you have a similar kind of narrative, Um, you know, uh, less, uh, less favorable fellow in the Bible, but Haman, you know, if you look at his experience with Mordecai, he thought he was all that. Mordecai says, well, not really. I'm not going to bow down to you or genuflect you. And Haman, um, you know, runs off and goes back and sulks and then ends up telling everybody how great he is. Well, there's all this self-pity, you know, um, this somebody's poking at our sense of self, our egos or whatever, and we kind of put our thumbs in our mouth. But 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 it can really lead to some really ugly behavior. And um, what I do find out of this whole thing, though, is, and you pointed out, in honest despair, I write in the book, more than anything else can drive us to realize our deepest moments of need. Mm. It can be a hidden blessing to be among the driven who are left exhausted and defeated. It may Mm. be God's kindness 
to let us battle with cruel masters and find ourselves deeply wounded because some of us, myself included, need to feel deep loss and the anguish of our souls. Some of us need to be constructively undone because Mm -hmm. if we are constructively undone, we will go one of two ways. We'll either go toward God or away from God. And of course, our prayer is that we would go toward God. Mm. And a lot of times the enemy just keeps us trapped there. It is Mm -hmm. so difficult, I think, to be set free from it. I'm actually writing another book now, and um, spoiler alert, uh, part of uh, what you mentioned about Elijah, I, I actually have a whole chapter on that because it really is a mindset struggle. You know, um, how can you shift? Well, our minds, we shift. And we've got to have an anchor, which is God's word. And it has to be this um, abiding. That's the only way we can calm and quiet the disquiet is to really be near to God. Because our own minds are our undoing, as you're talking about being undone. So, you know, and when I think about how we can recover from this flawed sense of self that you talk about in your book. Um, Shame holds us captive as we focus on us not being enough. And this is something that I hear a lot today. And I had discussed in uh, Shame Off You as well. There's there's such this um, burden of people just focusing on I'm not enough. And it's like, newsflash, we know this. <laughs> I mean, Christ is our sufficiency, and there's such freedom, and just shouting that right back at the enemy of our souls as our vindication. I'm not enough, but my God is, and he's great, and he's awesome, and look what he can do with the broken. Mm. And when we can walk in that, that's so freeing, you know, and just accepting our flaws. I mean, it's humbling, you know, but what do we expect um, in this fallen world? And Christ is our righteousness. I like um, Isaiah 32, 17 to 18 says, the effect of righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. Ah, that sounds comfortable and nice, doesn't it? (laughs) But we we find this peace by looking to Christ, not ourselves, not by looking to any temporary peace that we find in this world isn't going to bring that. So the pressure's off, though we are still surrounded by this perfectionistic world that tells us to keep striving to be what we never could be. Right, right. I think, um, you know, I think, Shame, and and I'm glad that both in secular writing as well as amongst Christians who are are rightly framing it, including yourself, I think shame is something I will tell you, you know, I live decades without really understanding Mm. the impact uh, or even, you know, how hidden it can be. And I I address it in the book, um, you know, the the subtle voices of shame. You're not good enough. You don't count. You bring nothing to the table. You really don't matter. You won't amount to much. You're ugly. You're not lovely. No one cares about you. Those kinds of things. To more strong words, um, many times that we hear just in the common, you know, just in the common dialogue, you're disgusting. You're a complete failure. You're worthless. You're a disgrace. You're a disappointment. You're a reject. Why would anyone want to be with you? You mean nothing to me. You should just die. Mm -hmm. Really strong statements of shame. And if we're not dealing 
biblically with those voices that are coming to us from all different areas, you know, the world, the flesh, the devil, so to speak, you know, our accuser is constantly bombarding with, with these kinds of voices. Um, one, Christ is our sufficiency. Two, uh, as I encourage in the book, you know, we really need to ask ourselves, who does God say we are? God is not saying those things. God is not saying you're not good enough. You don't count. You bring nothing to the table. In ourselves, we don't. But in Christ, we are, uh, we, 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 our identity is entirely shifted. Um, you know, we have, we share or partake in that which Christ has purchased for us, I believe, and it's not a surprising thing that Christ died a death of humiliation and rejection and scorn, effectively putting shame to death. I really believe that we can say, uh, not only therefore there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who are in Christ Jesus, we can say there is no longer any self-condemnation yes. for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we're great at self-condemnation. <laughs> Oh, yes. You're, it's so good. Your points are hitting there. Shame does hide, and, and hiding shame doesn't heal it. That's one of the tenets of, of my book on shame. But And there's such a wide spectrum, and I also lived with shame for decades, and it took an explosion in my life to make me recognize it. You know, you see the obvious shame, but you don't see the subtle shame that just extinguishes our existence, you know, makes it miserable. Um, and then we remain in this shame culture as well. Um, you know, when you talk also about um, Christ coming and, and the humiliation he endured, he didn't have to. You know, he chose that. He chose to walk the most humble way, to die the most humble way. And, and I believe that that was so intentional. You know, uh, he didn't have to suffer that kind of shame, but he chose it. And that was such an encouragement to me in some of my hardest places to know that if my God could overcome, and as it says in Hebrews 12, 1, 2, that he didn't regard shame, you know, scorning its shame for the joy set before him, that we can do the same thing. You also hit on a subject at the end of the first half of your book, existentialism. <laughs> this is for all the nerds out there. We're going to go deep here, I think. <laughs> um, I remember learning about Jean-Paul Sartre in college uh, when I was in a French class. You describe what you call the human paradox. Can you tell us how this human paradox relates to the disquieted soul? Uh, yes, and I'm not going to be able to say Sartre uh, nearly <laughs> as well as you can from your French. <laughs> um, I'll just do the, the American version. Um, I wanted to start with him, actually, because I think he, he, you know, from his perspective, obviously, being an atheist existentialist, starts with an interesting position. And it's one that you see all around. He says, if, if God does not exist, then human existence necessarily precedes, I'm sorry, the human existence necessarily precedes human essence, which is a little deep. He says, man first exists, encounters himself, surges into the world and defines himself afterwards. Well, if you kind of take the philosopher speak out of that and then just, you know, look at a marketing campaign, basically what it's saying is define yourself. You know, you are the one who defines who you are. You are the one who creates your, your, your sense of identity. You're the one who creates. And that's just mm. everything you hear in the world. Right. Yes. So I thought it was an interesting thing to, to start with is, you know, basically that's 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 the language of our culture. 
But um, I think that he misses something, of course, a big thing, which is that there is a God who does exist, and we don't come out of the box, as it were, um, empty. Uh, we don't come out with a blank slate. We actually come out, I believe, the way that God created us with specific needs and um, identity needs. And those identity needs are very, very powerful. And they drive a lot of the reasons why we do what we do. For example, we need to feel meaningful. Mm. We need to feel worthwhile. We need to feel safe. We need to feel powerful. We need to feel valued. We need to feel esteemed. We need to feel loved. And, 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 and any of us who have ever seen kids or remember our childhood or have had children, we see these things, they pop up so early and you're like, okay, these kids didn't create this. <laughs> you know, yes. This is a common human experience. It's, it's not even unique to Western culture. And we're saying that's because that's how God created us to be. They aren't bad things. The issue with the human paradox is, is that the paradox is we can't solve this within ourselves because mm -hmm. of the fall. We, when we need to feel meaningful and we feel meaningless and we need to feel worthwhile, but we feel worthless or we need to feel safe, but we need feel insecure, or we need to feel valued and we feel disposable, which is often the case, the world's going to tell us, you know, culture's going to tell us, go find that, you know, fix it within yourself, right? You know, dig deep, yes. deep inside yourself. Well, that's what Sartre was saying, but uh, it doesn't work. Um, we feel empty, and the only way that we can get through the futility of it, you know, the vanity of vanities of Ecclesiastes is when we realize we in ourselves are too deformed to fix this problem. That's the paradox. We can't fix it on our own. We can't find these identity needs being met on our own. And that's where we have to start climbing back up, if you will, from, from the discovery of our disquietude to deliverance from our disquietude. Hmm. Well, this is so good, y'all. We're going to have to continue this discussion next week. Lane, thank you for being with us today. Will you be willing to come back next week? Absolutely. I enjoyed it, and I look forward to the, to the next uh, half of the book, if you will. Awesome. So leave a comment to be entered to receive a free copy of Lane's book, The Disquieted Soul. To find out more about Lane, visit his website, www.lanecohe.com. The raw truth is that our souls could never find peace apart from the one who made us. The radical grace is when we struggle to find peace, our God will meet us at our place of need and give us peace that never ends. And the real hope is God's promises for peace will not fall short in meeting us in our times of desperate need. You've been listening to the Black and White Podcast, where we filter life through the Bible and live life in the freedom of peace. <laughs>